I think this morning that we can define mercy and apply this beatitude to our lives is to look at one of the parables that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 10. So if you'll turn with me to Luke 10, 25, we're going to look at the parable about mercy, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know this passage well, perhaps, but have you applied this passage well to your life? That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to unpack this parable and apply it to our lives in the here and now. And so in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, we see a conversation between a lawyer who talks to Jesus, asks him a question, and Jesus answers with this well-known parable. So picking up Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And, your, and he said to him, And your neighbor as yourself, sorry, 28, And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will have eternal life. And now verse 29, the parable starts. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was coming down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus answered him, you go and do likewise. In this passage, we see five elements of what it means and how it, how it is carried out to be merciful toward our neighbor, toward the downtrodden. And I want to unpack these five in our time together this morning, and then we'll make some application right after that. First of all, look in verse 33 of this parable. In verse 33, we see a Samaritan comes along and sees a man in distress. Now, what has happened right before this? Jesus is told of two religious men, a priest and a Levite. Now, a priest is a descendant from Aaron himself, okay? This is a holy man, a man that is to lead and shepherd the flock of God known as Israel, and a Levite, a Levite is not necessarily directly descendant from Aaron, but he is an assistant to the priest. So we have two men that know the scriptures extremely well. We have two men that are called by God to minister to people of the nation of Israel. And they both do not respond the way this Samaritan man responds. And we'll talk about him in a moment. So first of all, we see here that mercy sees and acknowledges distress in verse 33 
That's what the passage says. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he saw him, and he had compassion on him. So mercy sees and acknowledges a need. The religious men, the priest and the Levite, saw this man's distress, but maybe they just saw it out of the corner of their eye. You know how that is? I'm going to walk by and up. We've got a problem over here, but I'm not going to look. I'm going to go to the other side of the road, and I'm not going to acknowledge that. I've seen it. I know it's there because I'm diverting my path. That's what the religious men do. But the followers of Jesus Christ, the merciful, see someone in distress and acknowledge it for what it is. To effectively fulfill this beatitude, we must actively be looking for those that are in distress. These aren't people that we bump into. These aren't people that we glance out of the corner of our eye. We as followers of Christ should have our radar screens up, panning the the atmosphere, panning the landscape, looking for those that are in need of mercy. That's the follower of Christ. And so here's a question. Do you, and I wrestled with this question all week, do you look for opportunities to meet the needs of others who are downtrodden? Are you intentional about trying to find those people in your walk of life that you can raise up and show mercy to? That's your calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's a good test to see if you're following fast after Christ. Are there people who need mercy? Because our Christ saw humanity as needing mercy. And what did he do? He came in the form of a baby. And he grew up in stature as a man. And he died on a cross as a sinless substitute for those who needed mercy. And we are to image that in our walk on this earth. So the second thing, there's five elements. The second element of mercy that we can see in this parable is still in verse 33. And we see that the Samaritan responds internally with a heart of compassion. He responds internally. He sees him and then he has compassion on this man that has been stripped and robbed and beaten. What do the religious men do? What do the priest and the Levite do? They don't have one ounce of compassion. You know how we have compassion on one another? When I see a downtrodden person, the first thing that should flash in my mind is, that right there is a person that's made just like me in the image of God. That person right there bears the image of the God that I bear and that made me. We don't see them as mere people. We see them as image bearers. And when we see them as image bearers, we will then have compassion because we have something in common. And all men, believer and non-believer alike, are made in the image of God. No believer can claim that they are not made in the image of God. They are. God made man in his own image. He made them male and female. And so we need to be looking at people as image bearers like us And then we can begin to have internal hearts of compassion for these people that are downtrodden. And we must empathize with those who are fallen because we could be right there with them just like that. And here's the question that we need to ask. Are we compassionate towards the fallen? Or do we walk around with signs hanging off of us that say, do not disturb? Because a lot of us do. 
these Levite, this Levite and this priest had a sign hanging on them saying, do not disturb. I see that guy out of the corner of my eye. I'm over here on the other side of the road. I can't be disturbed with this. Merciful followers of Jesus Christ are looking for opportunities to be disturbed. Is that you? Is that me? Are we looking for opportunities to be disturbed? Number three, mercy responds externally. We've already seen the internal compassion in the heart. Now mercy responds externally with very intentional efforts to relieve the distress of the one that's in need. So it goes beyond the heart. We don't say, oh, tough blow. (laughs) See ya, wouldn't want to be ya. We don't say that. We say, tough blow, and I'm here to help. Look in verse 34. In verse 34 it says, He went to him, so he's seen him, he's had compassion. Now he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. So we see intentional, practical efforts to relieve this man of his misery. What do the religious men do? They relieve their own distress by going to the other side of the road. This distresses me. I see this guy out of the corner of my eye. I don't have time. I don't have compassion. I don't have the wherewithal. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to walk to the other side to ease my distress over this situation. But the follower of Christ runs to the side of this man that's on the side of the road and kneels down and takes practical measures to take care of this one that needs mercy. We must look to the downtrodden with a determination to take action with an eye towards restoration, with an eye towards raising them up and meeting their needs. Are you helpful towards those that need mercy or are you callous? Are you looking? Are you creatively thinking, how can I meet this need? Or are you just registering that there's a need and moving on? Do not disturb. Number four, mercy is willing. You ready for this one? Mercy is willing to be inconvenienced and to suffer personal loss to raise up the downtrodden. You ready for that? (laughs) The religious priest and Levite were not going to be inconvenienced beyond having to reroute their trail. They were inconvenienced. They had to go to the other side of the road. But this Samaritan man goes to the extra mile to be inconvenienced and to suffer personal loss. Look at what he suffers here in verse 34. First of all, he bound up his wounds. He went to him and bound up his wounds. So he is losing personal time. And I'm telling you, I think that's the first thing we're not willing to give up is time. And so he is inconvenienced because he's not going on his path. He stops to go to the side of the man that needs help. Secondly, he pours on this man oil and wine to heal wounds. This is costly personally to the man. Oil and wine is an expensive commodity. And he says, it's not for me that I have this. It is for this man that I will pour this out on him. So he suffers financial loss. He also suffers financial loss in that he gave, t- took him to the inn and he gave him two denarii 
That's two days of wages. You ready to cough up two days of wages for someone else's need? There's sacrifice here on the part of this Samaritan. And then look at the physical sacrifice. In verse 34, it says, He set him on his own animal. And so we can assume that he then guided the animal into town to take him to the end. So he's walking. He's physically sacrificing so that this man can be on the animal and not have to walk all the way into town. So there's sacrifice here. There's inconvenience here. That's what the Samaritan does that the religious priest and Levite are unwilling to do. And so here's the question. Is your personal agenda immovable? Are your personal resources locked and committed in such a way that you can't redirect them when God directs? Better said, do you see your time and your money as yours? Or do you see them as something given to you by God and thereby they are God's and God has decreed in this moment that I would meet the need of this destitute man? Do you see it that way? Or are you clutching tightly to your time and your material possessions and not deploying them for the glory of God who gave them to you? A disciple says, my animal is God's animal and God is telling me to devote this animal to this man. A disciple of Christ says, my time is God's time, and God is ordained for this moment to be a moment of ministry to one who needs mercy. A disciple says, I've got some wages, but they're not my wages, they're God's wages. And God would have me to deploy them in this moment for this destitute person. That's the disciple. That's the life of the disciple, the Christian character that Jesus is calling for in this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's the last one. This is a big one, too. Mercy overlooks differences of faith, of race, of genetics, of citizenship, national origin, you name it. Language. Mercy overlooks all of those things. Why? Because we see humans as made in the image of God. There's not Europeans and Americans. There's not Hispanic in America. We are all image bearers of God. Well, there was some really bad blood between the characters in the parable that Jesus is giving. The Jewish nation scorned the Samaritan people. The Samaritan people were, um, quite honestly, what, what some would term as a mixed breed of people. They were a mixture of Jew and Gentile that had intermarried. And so their blood has been tainted because they're not pure Jews. And Jesus is speaking to a Jewish lawyer, a righteous man, and he uses a priest and a Levite, pure-blooded Jews, to, t- to describe this parable of mercy. And it was unthinkable on the other side, that a Samaritan would stop and serve a Jew. For this one that was robbed and beaten and stripped, he was a Jew. It says he came from Jerusalem, right? And he was going to Jericho and he went through Samaria, which normally people didn't do. The Jewish people had a provision that you take a longer route around Samaria. You don't even want to touch their soil to get where you're going. But here we have a Samaritan who is scorned like a dirty dog, and probably naturally has some animosity towards pure Jews, and he is defying all of the culture of the day. He's defying it all, and he stops and helps 
a Jew. The Jewish people wouldn't even stop. The priest and the Levite wouldn't even stop to help one of their own. And so here's this Samaritan that doesn't have this tainted perspective of this man. He doesn't go with the bad blood that exists between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. The religious people don't see an image bearer. They see an inconvenience. So is your willingness to be merciful conditional? Do you say, I'll be merciful, but it depends on who it is. Depends on what they look like. Depends on what they sound like. Depends on what uh, license plates they have or their tags from Oklahoma. <laughs> Sorry. But that's, that's the culture that we live in. I will help those that are like me. I will help those if I can gain from this personally. I will help those if it's convenient. And Jesus says the character of a disciple is that we are merciful when it is against the culture to be merciful. So there's the first part. The condition is blessed are the merciful. And this parable is a warning to you and me. I got warned with it all week, and I want to warn you with it this morning. This is a warning to pastors and and ministers of music and youth pastors. This is a warning to us. We don't study this and be all pious all week and then walk out here and walk right past those that need mercy on our way to go do what we're going to do, have coffee with yet another Christian brother. We need to be willing to stop and get out and help to the point that it costs us something. This is a warning to Christians in general. We're memorizing scripture together. Today's verse, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Please memorize that this week. And it, but don't memorize that and not go do it. For then you're a priest or a Levite and you will merely be walking to the other side of the road and heading on down to where you're going. So we cannot be caught up in the mechanics of religious activity. We can't have no eye for for the distressed, no heart to respond with compassion, and we cannot be people who don't put forth effort to bring the relief of the gospel of Jesus Christ while also relieving the material and, and, and physical needs of the people that we encounter. No one, or I'm sorry, the one who is not merciful towards other people, okay, the person who is not merciful towards other people is so unaware of his own condition that he thinks he's not needing mercy himself. You get that? If we're not merciful towards other people, then we are oblivious to the fact that we are in need of mercy from God. We are not poor in spirit if we're not merciful to other people. We don't mourn the sinfulness of our life if we're not merciful towards other people. We are not meek if we're not merciful to other people and we're certainly not hungering and thirsting for righteousness and we need mercy and the promise is blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy now let's go to that we have to be very careful with this promise this thing gets abused all the time let's not abuse for they shall receive mercy let's don't abuse that This is not implying that mercy is something that we earn. Okay? We do not earn mercy. We do not work for mercy. We do not deserve mercy. Such is a contradiction of the term. 
Mercy, by its very definition, is receiving what you don't deserve to receive. So it can't be a work. We can't say, if I'm merciful, I'll get mercy. Although the scripture kind of says that, doesn't it? We need to handle the Bible rightly here. Mercy is not a work that we earn mercy from God by being merciful to other people. If you earned it, it would be your due, and then you would no longer call it mercy. There will be a day of judgment. Scripture is full of this day. It's telling us this day is coming, and it tells us it's coming like a thief in the night. We do not know when. And on that day, we will stand before our Lord. And he will not judge us based on our mercy ledger. We won't whip out a ledger and say, here's all my mercy, now give me some mercy, God. That is not going to happen. That doesn't have, that's not how it works. He will evaluate our lives, and he will look into our lives to see evidence evidence of an obedient disciple of his son, Jesus Christ. And he will look for evidence of faith and trust and obedience to the commandments, yes. But ultimately, God is going to see that our authentic faith in Christ will be demonstrated in our merciful acts towards other people. So, said another way, when we are merciful towards other people, it's not a work that we're doing to then earn mercy, when we are merciful to other people, it is a fruit that tells you what kind of tree we are. You see it? You see the difference between a work and, that, and something that is now due me as a wage versus an identifying trait, characteristic, that's hanging on the tree of, that, that defines me as the kind of tree that I am? And so when the Father sees mercy, he sees faith and belief and trust in Jesus Christ in obedience to his commands. And therefore, the fruit that he bears identifies him as one of my own. So we need to be careful that we don't take this to mean, I've got to go be merciful or I'm not going to get mercy ever. We are merciful towards other people because we have been mercifully forgiven for our sins. And we now imitate our Christ because he has changed who we are. We are a spiritually born-again new person who now demonstrates that by being merciful. So it doesn't earn us, it's who we've become in Christ. And so we cannot think of our merciful actions as a work to earn mercy, but a fruit of being in Christ. Now, I want to make some points of application and then we'll land this airplane. All right, I'm gonna, I want to take this merciful concept and make sure that we don't abuse it. And I'm going to look at four areas of life that we all live in. Okay? We're going to go into four phases of life that we live in almost every day. And we're going to see what mercy is and what mercy is not. Okay? So first one, we all live in a family. Okay? Father, mother, children. And I'm going to ask this question. Can a Christian parent discipline their child and still fulfill God's calling to be merciful? Or should a parent be merciful and turn the other cheek when their children disobey? Or should a parent not judge their child because he has done wrong? Some people will say 
that we need to be merciful and therefore we don't need to hold people accountable for their actions. We cannot abuse Scripture like this. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates the son. You know that verse. Whoever spares the rod hates the son. Strong language. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's not a call here to have a child that disobeys and does something wrong and say, I'm going to just have mercy on you and just forget it. We can't go there with this. And you would agree with me. I'm not telling you something that you're raring up against me on now. You're with me on this, but keep with me. Hebrews 12, 5 through 10. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So there's this call to be disciplinarians, not just mercy givers all the time. There are times when parents do show the mercy of God by disciplining. Discipline is an act of mercy. It is taking them in a bad condition and saying, come out of that condition. Don't dwell there. But there's also times when parents are to show the mercy of God by not disciplining, perhaps. So there's this this balance. There's this need for discernment of when do I need to be merciful and when do I need to throttle this kid, right? And both can be acts of mercy. Even in the moment of discipline, a parent can show mercy. How? They weep over their child's sin. They weep over the circumstances that have brought them to this moment of discipline, and they discipline them mercifully. And then I love this. There is a moment of mercy even in discipline because a parent is to restore their child and reconcile with them and embrace them after the discipline, and that's a time to show mercy. So in in the family context, merciful does not mean withholding punishment for something that's been done wrong. But sometimes mercy does mean, you know what, I'm not going to hold you to that because God is a merciful God. And I want to show you what God's like in this moment of extending you mercy. How about the second one? How about the workplace? Can a Christian employer terminate an employee for poor work or a violation of company policy and still be merciful? Or should employees have a job for life regardless of their actions. Colossians 3:22 through 4:1. Bond servants, that's a biblical term for employee. It's not slaves. Employee, employees obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
Masters, employers, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So Paul calls employers here to be just and fair, just like God is with them. But this does not mean that employers are to allow anything to happen in the workplace with no ramifications. We don't go there with this. 2 Thessalonians 3, starting in 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Let him not eat. Now, the abuse of this mercy scripture is let him eat. Show him mercy, right? But we're told here, let him not eat. Let him not earn wages, if you will. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. No such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Christ Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So here we see that the worker who is unwilling to work should not eat, should not be extended mercy. He should be disciplined, not paid for this. The employee has to earn his own living. He has to earn it. And the employee who is unwilling to work must be disciplined. How about an employee that violates a company policy? How about harassment? We can't let harassment in the workplace go unchecked. In mercy, we need to discipline that person. But also in mercy, we need to protect the others that have been harassed by the harasser. And so we have to extend mercy in the right cases and judgment in the right cases as well. And guess what? Mercy can be shown towards a terminated employee, right? How? We can offer some severance pay to assist them to the next job. If someone just can't get the job done, mercifully, we can put them in some training and pay for their training. We can help them with unemployment. We can help them with job placement. So there are ways to be merciful yet still being right and just in what's happening in the workplace. Number three, government. I'm going to ramp up the intensity here. Can a Christian congressman pass a law and can a Christian judge sentence a person to prison or or the death penalty even for violating that law and still fulfill God's calling to be merciful? Or should a Christian congressman not pass laws Or should a Christian judge always show mercy in the courtroom? Romans 13, 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So there is a call for government to act with the authority that's been given to it by God to render judgment and punishment to people. So should we show the Sandy Hook Elementary School gunman, if he hadn't have taken his own life, should we have shown him mercy and just said, mercy be to you, everything's good? Absolutely not. Should we 
see indecent and criminal acts towards women and children in our societies and say, I'm going to show mercy. We cannot abuse a passage like this. Yet there are times when a deserving sentence should be commuted maybe to a lesser sentence. There are moments where mercy can be extended in the courtroom. And should a criminal ultimately be punished, the way we show mercy is we go visit them in prison. The judge sentences him. I'd love to see a judge go to prison and sit down with the gospel and share it with him behind bars. That's how you show mercy in government. All right. So how about the last one? The church. Family, work, government, church. Can a biblical elder call a church member to repent of a public and egregious sin and exercise church discipline, even exclusion from membership of the church, if there is no repentance, and still fulfill God's calling to be merciful? Or should a biblical elder allow anyone to be in good standing in the church regardless of their behavior and their beliefs? There's a time for mercy and there's a time for discipline. 1 Corinthians 5.11 says this, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And we could look at Matthew 18 in, in church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go to him in private. Tell him of his sin. If he agrees with you, you've gained him. And if not, go to him with, with two or more. And if he agrees, you've gained him. And if not, tell it to the church and have nothing to do with him. Treat him like a tax collector and a Gentile. That means he's treated as an outsider. What do we do with them? We mercifully give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't walk to the other side of the road around them. We treat them with the gospel and with mercy. And the goal all along is to bring them to repentance and receive them right back into the fellowship of this church. But in the merciful moment, we discipline so that they can be right with God. And then there's another merciful moment where we pursue them while we've told them they're not among us. We still go after them because we do want to bring them back to us. And then there's a moment of mercy when we receive them with the right hand of fellowship back into our church because they have repented to God of the sin in their life. So there's a time for mercy and there's a time for discipline. And the ultimate purpose of discipline is repentance and restoration. So as long as we live in a fallen world, and until Christ comes again, we will have to exercise biblical discernment as to when we should show mercy and when we should show justice. And in the already but not yet, we deploy mercy and justice in right ways at right times for the glory of God. And the caution is we can't do it for the glory of ourselves. So here's how I'll conclude. We have an opportunity right before us to extend mercy to those that have fallen on very hard times. Where might that be? Granbury, Cleburne, Moore, Oklahoma. Do you see the need for mercy? Right here in our own backyard. 
Now, how can we preach on a sermon about mercifulness and walk out of here and never act out mercy? How can we not image our Christ when we have a need right here before our very eyes? Last week, we gave attention to those in Moore, Oklahoma, in partnership with some churches here in church, in in town, in Beans and Franks. And we had a prayer meeting on Thursday at noon, and we prayed intentionally. And uh, funds were given and are in the process of being given to go to the disaster relief in Moore, Oklahoma, and in Cleburne, and Stephenville. So we are striving together with sister churches here in town to be merciful towards those who need mercy. And here this morning, the challenge is for us as a church to do something more above and beyond that. So do we have eyes to see the distress? And are we willing to acknowledge what's going on 30 miles to our east? Do we have compassion for the downtrodden? Next week in, in Granbury and Cleburne is, is week three, right, since the tornado hit. Wednesday will be, what, the two-week anniversary? So Thursday starts the third week. We have word that, and we love them, Samaritan's Purse left yesterday, and, and they're transferring everything to, to Moore, Oklahoma. Damage was bigger. I'm not throwing a rock at Samaritan's Purse. Thankful they've been there for this time. But they're now reallocating their resources to Moore, Oklahoma. That's going to leave a huge void in Granbury and in Cleburne. Uh, We were there yesterday. We had a scout there yesterday, and the the destruction is mind-boggling, and there are people whose houses have not even begun to be restored, and people are leaving. People are leaving. So there's a hole, and we need to see this hole in the provision of mercy towards our neighbors. We can meet this need through intentional efforts and personal sacrifice. There's financial need, and we're going to be looking at ways financially to provide for some of these people. But there's also physical needs, and we are going to look at opportunities to sacrifice time and talent and treasure to meet the needs of our neighbors. And so my question is, are we willing to be inconvenienced and suffer some degree of personal loss in the coming days for those that need mercy. Can we sacrifice time out of our schedules for the interest of those there? Can we do without a portion of our finances? Can we sweat and have aching backs when we come home from working with them? Tyler Dunn is running point for us on what we can do to be merciful towards our neighbors in Granbury and Cleburne. And we are going to be announcing this week, starting on Tuesday, we're, we're working with churches. We're going to do this through churches in those communities. We're looking at ways that we can go over physically, boots on the ground, and be merciful to our neighbors. And we are looking at ways that we can also financially be merciful to these people. The news crews have left. Samaritan's Purse has left. And now's the time that we can really go in with the gospel and astonish people with mercy and the good news of Jesus Christ because This is not the time that people are flocking to go there. Everybody's leaving. And we need to be the second wave that comes in. So I'm challenging us this morning on behalf of the elders. Get ready in the coming days to be merciful neighbors to those that are near and dear to us over there. And we will communicate with Facebook and emails. There are many not here today. It's Memorial Day weekend. We need you to talk 
to your brothers and sisters in this church to say, come with us. We're going to Granbury and Cleburne, and we're going to be merciful because we've been changed by Jesus Christ, the author of mercy. Let's pray.